So last week was Easter Sunday. You were well aware of that because I wore a tie. Um, two weeks ago on Palm Sunday, we baptized five people. We have been dripping in the glory and wonder of the resurrection of King Jesus. We've been reminded of who we are in Christ. In witnessing those baptisms, we were brought back to our own experiences, remembering what it felt like when we were plunged beneath the water. This morning is actually the second Sunday of Easter, as we are in the midst of what has traditionally been called Easter Tide. This is a period of 50 days following the 40 days of Lent, where we keep the resurrection of King Jesus at the forefront of our minds. For those of us who have kind of put the church calendar away, I feel like we're missing out on all sorts of parties. Um, the church throughout history knew how to celebrate Christ. As followers of Jesus, the resurrection means everything to us. And I've said this before, if, and, and Paul made it so clear that if there is no resurrection, everything we do as Christians is an utter waste of time. But the resurrection happened. I believe that with all of my heart. But let's be honest, right? A lot of times, it doesn't feel like it did. That's not only because of what we see in the world around us, but also what we experience in our own personal lives. Paul, after glorying in the resurrection, after counting all things as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord, he quickly shifts his tone. It's as though he wants to remind us of the reality in which we are living, in which all of us are living daily. So this morning, as we move along in this letter, we're going to be talking about the grit and fortitude required for those of us who have been adopted into the family of God. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a spirit-empowered grit and fortitude, but it is grit and fortitude nonetheless. Like it says in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we are seated in the heavenly places, but that reality has not yet been fully realized. And so we press on. To quote Rocky, I didn't hear no bell, right? And so for those of you who were baptized just a couple of weeks ago, your journey is just getting started. And so with that, let's open our Bibles. We are in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16. If you have a bulletin that was given to you on the way in, you can follow the simple outline that is in the, um, the insert there, and the passage is also there, and it will be up on the screen behind us. And so a quick recap. Paul has just finished going over all of the honor and status that he's left behind and the reason for that decision, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He then closes out the passage by telling the Philippians that there is nothing that he would even consider that would prevent him from pursuing the resurrection from the dead. By any means possible, he says. See, Paul has one goal in mind, and that is to arrive upon the shores of new creation. At the same time, he knows that he isn't quite there yet. 
In fact, none of us are quite there yet. It says in verse 12, chapter 3, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. A couple of things. The this that he has yet to obtain is referring back to the resurrection from the dead. See, our salvation is one of those things that has an entry point and an end goal. Theologians refer to this as the already and not yet of redemption. We are already redeemed by Christ. We are already seated in the heavenly places with King Jesus. We are already renewed and we are new creations in Christ Jesus. However, we have not yet fully realized that. In fact, new creation has dawned. The kingdom of God is in our midst. When Jesus came, he heralded the kingdom of God. It was present within us. But yet, we're not already, we're not yet there. That's the already and not yet concept when it comes to our faith. We are already saved. We are already with Christ. We are already redeemed. However, we have not yet fully realized the fullness of our salvation. And I think we could all attest to that. I think we can all attest to that because probably some of us were frustrated this morning at a couple of things. My car wasn't working this morning. I was livid. I was like, are you kidding me? I had to come here, print out my sermon, and then I had to go back and pick up Deanna and the kids. And I'm sitting there in my head, and I'm just like, and, I, and for some reason, like, little things really, like, I don't know if any of you are like that, where little things really irk you. Like, I can deal with big things, although I don't know, maybe Deanna has, maybe she disagrees. Um, but, it, but the little things, like, really, like, they just, like, burn me. And, and I was just like, I was getting really mad. And, and I'm, like, texting Deanna, like, angry. Deanna's like, can you just, like, I just want to go back to bed. Um, and I'm just, like, angry. And then finally, like, I, I, I chilled out. I calmed down. But the point is, is, like, clearly I have not yet already arrived at the fullness of my salvation <laughs> is the point I'm trying to make. And maybe some of you had a morning like that. He then talks about this idea of perfection. He says, we are not yet perfect. Now, now this, is, this is an interesting word because it's not a moral category. That's not what Paul's getting at here. He's not talking about, like, I don't any longer do things wrong. Although that's, that's an implication. But what he's really talking about is, is completion. It's an eschatological term. I have, no long, I have not yet been perfected in Christ. It's the very thing we're talking about. Already not yet. Yes, I am in Christ, but, but this salvation is not yet complete. I haven't fully realized my salvation. Paul is making a point. Paul is not writing from heaven, nor from the fully realized kingdom of God. He's one of them. He's on the same path. He's fighting the same battles. And not only the same battles as the Philippians, but the same battles as we fight day in and day out. We often, I think, we read the scriptures and we see people like Paul and the other characters in the Bible, and we're just like, oh my gosh, these guys are everything. 
right? And they are. They're a big deal. They were so faithful to God. But they are human beings just like us, struggling with the same things we're struggling with, trying to fight sin and temptation, trying to keep their eyes fixed on the prize. And he's trying to get, he's trying to, to engage the Philippians and let them know, hey, guys, I'm right there with you. I get it. I have not yet arrived. I am in process. We are all in process. And the text says that he presses on to make it his own. And, and this idea of pressing on, we can say that he aggressively pursues this goal, meaning that there is a spirit-shaped work, an effort, that is required for us as followers of Jesus. We cannot simply say that because we, at some point in our lives, prayed to receive Jesus into our hearts, and, and there we are, good to go. Like, that's just not how it works. In fact, as you read through the scriptures, as you read through Paul, as you read through the gospels, it is not this idea that, well, I said a prayer, you know, back in sixth grade at, at Bible camp and I'm good. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Now, before you start to worry that I'm talking about some sort of works-based salvation, notice where Paul takes us. This pursuit, this unrelenting and aggressive hunt for the resurrection from the dead is grounded in the fact that Christ Jesus has made me his own. It says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make him my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because I belong to King Jesus, because I am his possession now, because he has secured me with the blood of his cross and rose from the dead three days later, proving that that blood is sufficient, because of that, I am going to pursue aggressively and relentlessly the resurrection from the dead. That's what's happening See, the love and grace of God has overtaken Paul to such an extent that he has completely reoriented his life toward the goal of finishing the race and ending up on the shores of new creation, the resurrection from the dead. Everything in his life is fixed on that. Now, we're going to talk about this in the fall, but I think it's too relevant to pass up this morning. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, really quick, just to give you a little context. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. This is after they were just released from Egypt. Um, God rescued them. God redeemed them from slavery. They were in slavery, the Israelites, under Pharaoh. Remember, they come through the Red Sea, and they are brought through on dry land, and then the waters come crashing down on Pharaoh and his army. And as they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, God spoke all these words, saying, in verse 2 of chapter 20 of Exodus, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall. And then he gives ten laws, followed by a whole bunch of other ones. The entire shape 
of the nation of Israel, how they were to live their lives and orient themselves toward the land of promise is all grounded in two things. One, that they belong to the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh. I am the Lord your God, he says. And he uses his covenant name. I am the Lord your God. And then he says, who brought you out of the house of slavery. He, the second thing, is the reason for their redemption, the reason for their freedom. What's the point? Our salvation, our redemption, is the work of God. Catch that? Our redemption and our salvation is the work of God. And then through the work of the Spirit and the law of Christ, we relentlessly and aggressively fight our way to the promised land, the resurrection from the dead. See, our work that we perform as Christians, and and I use that word lightly, perform, the works that we engage in as Christians is all grounded in who we are in Christ And it is wrought or empowered through the Holy Spirit of God that fills us and equips us and enables us to push forward. See, good works do matter in the scriptures. It is is evidence of our saving faith. And in fact, faith doesn't just simply mean that I did something in my brain. Faith means that we have entrusted ourselves to the person and work of Jesus. There is an entrusting sort of, sort of category that, that comes with faith. It's not just like, oh yeah, I believe that. No, it's, it's I have grabbed hold of that. Why? Because he has grabbed hold of me. It's grounded in the work of Christ. And it's wrought by the Holy Spirit of God. And he commissions us to go forth to make it our own because Christ Jesus has made us his own. I mean, just just chew on that for a little bit. Christ Jesus has made us his own. We belong to God. We belong to the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who was raised to new life. We belong to him. And not only do we belong to him, but we are found in him. We are brought into union with him, meaning that the things that he possesses, we now possess as an inheritance given to us as the younger brothers and sisters of Christ. This is good news, Redeemer Fellowship. This is good news. This is some of the best news. This is the stuff that should get us excited. This is everything to Paul, which is why he says he pursues it. He relentlessly and aggressively runs after it with all his might. The text continues, verses 13 through 14. And Paul now gives us some practical advice in our relentless pursuit of Christ and the final salvation we will possess at the end of the age. He says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, right, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the upward, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
right? He, he, he again, he wants to reiterate that while he presses on to make it his own, he has not yet made it his own. He's not there yet. Paul, again, is in process. All of us in this room are in process. And the language throughout his passage, it's actually borrowed from the sports world, specifically running. See, runners are not focused on what is behind them, but rather they are fixed on the finish line. And the closer they get to the finish line, the more effort they put forth to the point of stretching out their body so they might break through the ribbon first. I know nothing about football at all, but I, but I watch it here and there. And, and as I've watched the game throughout the years, what I've noticed is that when a player is trying to get a first down or break the plane of the end zone, and, and that's something I learned. Remember my dad telling me this. He's like, yeah, all they have to do is break the plane. And I'm like, what plane? I'm like, I don't understand what you mean. And he explained it to me. He's a good, he's a good teacher. He told me all the, the tip of the ball has to just... Just touch the, touch the line, and you got a touchdown, right? Like, I'm like, okay, cool, because like, I played hockey. The whole puck's got to cross the line, right? But anyway, I, you know, whatever. And what do they do in order to break the plane? They stretch and contort their bodies in all sorts of ways in order to get even just the tip of the ball to gain that extra inch to touch that line. And, and you've seen the replays. They're all like, you know, like kind of thing, and I, clearly I can't do those things. This is the concept that Paul has in mind as he talks about straining to what lies ahead. And what lies ahead is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But what I love about this passage is that Paul makes clear two things. First, the means by which we run this race is Jesus. He has taken hold of us. He has made us his own. You know what the goal is? The goal that he is taking us toward it's himself. It is the upward call of God. And where is that upward call located? In Christ Jesus. He is bringing us to himself. And he provides the means to get us there, namely himself. And so you're probably thinking, like, well, well, John, what are you talking about? You're saying, like, I have to press on, but then you're saying Jesus brings us. And you're saying I have to strain and contort my body in order to break the plane, but you're saying Jesus brings us. And, and the answer to that question is, yeah, yeah, it's both. It's both and. But I love, I love this passage because look what he says, right? He says in verse, in verse 13, brothers, I do, do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. He says, one thing I do, and then he, then he says two or three things. Right? But he doesn't. He says one thing. Let me explain to you what he does. He says, I press on. No, he says, he says one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining, straining towards what lies ahead, I press on. The one thing that he does is press on. The forgetting and straining is how he presses on. That's a, that's a participle, right? And in the grammar world, that's a participle of means, how he goes about doing that. I see Leah smiling. Leah loves participles, right? It's a participle of means. He's saying, I press on, and the way I press on is by forgetting all the things that lie behind and straining toward what is ahead. I forget what's back there, and I strain toward what's ahead. The question that you're going to wrestle with this week in your community groups, and, and I talked about this last week, but i got to ask it again. What is it that is holding us back? 
What are we choosing to hold on to? What is it that lies behind that is preventing us from straining forward? Is it some sort of sin from your past? Something that you just can't seem to get over? Maybe it stretches all the way back to when you were in high school. Maybe how you treated a former boyfriend or girlfriend. Hear the word of Christ. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. Possibly it's a poor financial decision that you've made that set you and your family back. Something that has shaped you and destroyed all of your confidence. Hear the word of Christ. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. Maybe it's something you're presently struggling with, an addiction, a struggle with your identity, some stronghold, whether it's chemical, sexual, fill in the blank. Hear the word of Christ. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. Is it some sort of shame that you're carrying? A sin that was committed against you, possibly making you feel dirty and unworthy of the love of God or the love of those around you? Hear the word of Christ. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. And know this. You are not the only one in this room working through a Rolodex or file folder of past sin, hurt, and pain. Every single one of us has a closet filled with skeletons. Every single one. And Jesus is declaring to us to hear him. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the house of slavery. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I know I struggle to believe that. I struggle with that. I know where I've been. I know who I once was the things I've struggled with, the things I presently struggle with, I have to remind myself daily that the Lord my God has brought me out of the house of slavery. And forgetting, it doesn't mean that we will never remember those things. But it does mean that we are not defined by them. We are not defined by them. Our past does not make up our identity because our identity is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who brought us out of the house of slavery. That is good news. That is good news, Redeemer Fellowship. That's the grace and mercy of Almighty God. He has cleansed us from all iniquity, forgiven us of our sin. In Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. That already happened. And while we might not yet have fully realized it, that is the truth in which we stand. Why I know the kingdom of God is in our midst is because Paul says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. New creation is the kingdom of God. 
So it's right here in our midst. There's a bunch of new creation happening right now. And when we sit at that table in a few minutes, as we partake of the blood and body of Christ, we are seated in the heavenly places, tasting a foretaste of what new creation will bring to us when we arrive on the shores. That's good news, Redeemer Fellowship. That's who we are. And do not allow yourself to be defined or identified by anything or anyone other than King Jesus. Because that's where we're found. We are found in him. We are found in him. Every other thing that has happened in our lives, every other identity, every other defining mark and scar, all bow in submission to who we are in Christ. Everything. Everything. And if you're sitting there right now thinking, yeah, but, 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 but John doesn't know about that one thing. I don't. But I can assure you, it's nailed to the cross of King, King Jesus. That I can assure you of. That's what he promises us in his word. And that's what he proved when he rose from the dead three days after dying. His resurrection says, my death worked. It worked. And I won. And one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to raise all of you up. All of us are going to be raised to new life with Christ. So the text continues. Verses 15 and 16, it says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I find this verse to be a, a little comical. He's like, he's kind of looking out. He's like, he's like, all right, so the mature ones, what I just explained to you, this is how I want you to think. If you don't believe me, you're obviously not that mature. But God's going to work on you. God's going to deal with that. For us who are mature, think this way. Which way? The way that recognizes that we belong to King Jesus and that we are on a path toward glory. And that while we have a past that has caused us pain and maybe left us ashamed, all of that has been nailed to the cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if you disagree with this, Paul is clear that God will put you in your place. He will reveal this also to you. For the rest of us, let us hold true to what we have attained. What have we attained? The power of the resurrection, the resurrection from the dead, and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we got. That's what we already have. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made us his own. We belong to him. Too many of us, even as Christians, we allow ourselves to be defined by who we once were. 
the good news of Jesus tells us that we are not that person anymore. That's just not who we are. We belong to Christ. He has taken hold of us. He has made us his own. That's not always easy to internalize. In fact, it takes a lot of work. In fact, the things of our past, they've left scars. We have them. But those scars don't define who we are. Doesn't mean we don't have to put the work in to deal with those scars. It takes persistent prayer, studying of God's word. It takes the community of faith, finding a few whom you can entrust your skeletons to, who won't disown you and cast you aside because of your past struggles. Who are you entrusting your skeletons to? We need those people in our lives. We desperately need those people in our lives. I got a few of those people. I got a few of those people that I entrust my skeletons to. And in fact, if someone does cast you aside because of your skeletons, they're the ones who are thinking otherwise and whom God will reveal this truth to, this mature way of thinking. Sometimes it takes sitting with a good counselor. There's no shame in that. In fact, I've sat with a counselor on many occasions, even recently, and they were able to help me see things I couldn't necessarily see about myself. Ultimately, it takes faith. It takes faith to open ourselves up to God, to others, to pick up the phone, make an appointment with the counselor. But it takes faith And the faith I'm talking about is the faith I just defined a few minutes ago in trusting ourselves to the person and work of Jesus. That's what it requires. And that's a daily fight. That's a daily walk of faith that all of us must engage in. He is the Lord our God who took us out of the house of slavery. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you're sitting here and you don't know this person that I've been talking about for the last 30 minutes or so, King Jesus, whom we've been celebrating for the last two weeks, who rode into Jerusalem, who was celebrated, and then a few days later was crucified on Good Friday, and then three days later rose from the dead, I implore you to consider this man. To consider the things you're hearing. To consider the fact that our sin does separate us from God. Oh, but he loves us and provides us a way to him, his son. And he's asking us to entrust ourselves to him. If you remember from last week, Paul used to entrust himself to the law of God found in the Old Testament. And not only did he entrust himself to the law of God, he entrusted himself to his own ability to perform that law. It was faith, but it was misplaced faith. God is calling us to entrust ourselves to his son Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again three days later, crushing death to pieces so that those of us who entrust ourselves to him might have life eternal and spend it with him on the shores of new creation forever. That's true. That's good news. 
Redeemer Fellowship. Hear the word of Christ. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of slavery. Let us press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you with all of our hearts. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have made a way so that we might have life, so that our sins might be forgiven, that our shame might be removed, that we no longer are defined by who we once were and what we once did, nor what maybe even we are presently struggling with, Lord. We are defined by your son, Jesus, by the resurrected king. And one day, Father, we will see you face to face. The veil will be lifted and we will be with you for all eternity. Lord, we long for that day. In the meantime, help us to walk in faithfulness, to relentlessly pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Help us, God. Lord, we do that by entrusting ourselves to you, by loving you, by loving neighbor, Lord God. Help us, Lord. And Father, I pray now that as we go to the table, Lord, remind us of your death and nourish us with your grace that we might be equipped to walk throughout the rest of this week sharing in the life of your son Jesus, loving you and loving neighbor. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.